0: All right. Good morning, Fayetteville. I'm here. I'm Andre here for Andre's Addict, and I'm here with uh, my co-host Kyle Coleman. What's going on? And our guest today is Courtney.
1: Hi, guys.
0: All right. So today is a lovely morning, and I'm here with an awesome topic: uh, problem solving. And uh, as we, as we, as you know, as we all know, problem solving can be very difficult with relationships and in the workplace. Today we will be specifically going over in the workplace. And maybe touch on some personal but you never know what what happens with me and Kyle. We yeah, just kinda, anything comes out. Yeah. So I'll just uh, uh, start start to off by asking Kyle like about problem solving, like, mm-hmm. how, like what he thinks it is, like how he goes about it, and explaining it and then according to the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I think of problem solving, there's, there's two different tiers of problem solving that I see. There's the unconscious problem solving, and just kind of like, how do I get this milk into the glass? Um, and that's a lot of just kind of real simple things that we do automatically. And then I think the tier we're gonna be talking a lot more about today is um, kind of more intellectual problem solving. When we're faced with a problem that we cannot solve with our first instincts, what do we do? And for me, a problem-solving complex uh, can be problem-solving can be real, really complex or really simple. Um, you know, a road's closed. So what do we do? Okay, well, problem-solving. I'm gonna hop on Google Maps, and it's gonna take me a different way. Um, versus, oh no, um, I have um, part of my roof is blown off, mm-hmm. and and I can't find any roofers that I can afford yeah. where that's a lot more complex problem solving. What the heck are we going to do? So that's mm-hmm. kind of how I view problem solving is, um, they're simple and there's hard, but they both are hard some kind of thought process. Mm-hmm. So that's my thoughts, Courtney. I don't know uh, if you have anything different.
1: And I was going to say, I think the complex problem solving is what you often see, um, is what we often feel when we're going through things, um, because the unconscious problem solving you're doing every day doesn't typically cause that anxiety or doesn't typically cause you to think things through um, as complex would.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very right, Awesome. So uh, I guess my first subtopic today is when, when you... Uh, Think you solved a problem, like what are your like emotional reactions that you that go through your mind when it turns out that the problem was not resolved? How do you feel <laughs> when it happens?
1: anxious when it doesn't yeah. happen the way you plan it not to be.
0: Yeah. I, I think I even get a little angry. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I have a thing where I'm super patient with people. I have no problem working with people. But, like, if I'm working on a sink and the damn thing's not going in right, I get really frustrated. Because uh-huh. I'm like, you're not a living thing. You should not be affecting me this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think when I solve a problem, like, if I use the sink analogy and I turn it on um, and it still leaks, I'm going to be pissed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree to that. If I can't, if I feel like I have something that's solved and I didn't solve it, and I get angry with myself even of mm-hmm. why I couldn't solve that problem. Uh-huh.
0: Absolutely. And then, like, if, if we look at, um like, if we're in the social work field, you're in the profession, and you're like, you have a great session, you're working with a family and a kid, and you're like, all right, we got this problem solved, we have the answers, you have a plan, you're going to rock it, and you come back on Monday, and they're like, no, that did not happen the way we thought it would.
1: Just like um, crisis planning. Yeah. Crisis planning with any... <laughs> With any youth, it's perfect
0: right I, there, example. You know, sometimes I feel like we do, like, crisis planning or, or like, any kind of emergency planning um, just to feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really feel like at least 50% of the time, it does – either the plan's not followed or the plan just straight up does not work. Yeah. Well, I don't
1: think we're getting to the root of the problem. We're not yeah. truly solving the problem in, yeah. in creating a Band-Aid crisis plan. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that term. Like, it's like a Band-Aid over a gash wound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like – missing part of my skull and I'm like, oh, I'm going to put some duct tape on it and we're good to go. Right, it's exactly. Like, yeah. So like when things like this happen, like like how do we revert ourselves back to uh, re, right, refixing the problem that we thought was once solved, but now we have to go back to step one? What, what do we do? Hmm. I
1: think often a lot of people get stuck in going back to that step and that's mm-hmm. what creates even a bigger problem and like a snowball effect, I feel like. Yeah. Um, again, because people either get like, anxious or upset or angry when the problem isn't getting solved. So getting back to step one is always the most difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for, for me and the youth I work with particularly, um, sometimes visuals and writing the problem out, I even know, in using a crisis for an example, mm-hmm. like we use a civic template so they can physically see what they're going back to and mm-hmm. starting from the the route and whether it be okay let's throw out a couple ideas of how we can get through this problem mm-hmm. and brainstorm around it um mm-hmm. uh, i think i think really helps
0: yeah so like started from the bottom now i'm here right like <laughs> 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 um Jesus. but yeah no i, I think you're 100 right um it's no one wants to to restart no like you feel like you solved it you're like we did all this freaking work and it was for not. Uh-huh. Um, but but I think there's a lot of truth in kind of going back to the basics in mm-hmm. almost any aspect that you look at something that's kind of either failed or hasn't met expectations. you got to go back to the basics. Yeah. What's our bottom line here? Yeah. Um, let's start there. Figure out what's actually going on and work up into, into more complexities. Mm-hmm. So uh, look at Maslow's hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Okay, if we're trying to solve this problem, let's start. Basic needs. Are we met? Yes, no. Where are right. we at? Yeah. You know, it's just don't, don't overthink it.
1: Right. Um, I agree. So
0: yeah, it's never easy kind of trying to refocus and restart, but I think a lot of the times that's kind of where we need to be, Mm -hmm. especially early on, um, with any problem. Yeah. You know, so if, uh, if I have a, a, a creaky floor, And I want to get it fixed. And yes, I looked at the floor and that's why I picked this as an analogy because it's what I saw. Um, If I got a creaky floor, you know, I'm not going to come up with some complex way to to solve it. I got to figure out what the basics are, what's underneath the floor, what's going on there um, before I can do anything crazy problem-solving. Uh, I think
1: like the why behind the problem, the why, what, how, when, like asking those major questions, those
0: five W's, yes, Yes.
1: Um, behind the the problem, because I think any problem that we label a problem is just a surface level, Mm -hmm. like again, so example, I have a rash, and (laughs) the rash isn't the problem, there's something going on with my body that's causing the rash, Uh and so figuring out, I have to go back and figure out, okay, what am I consuming, what am I eating, what did I change in my, um, Mm -hmm laundry detergent, like mm-hmm. what is causing the rash? Even though I'm seeing the rash as the problem, there's really yes. an underlying
0: problem. Yeah, there's, so, there's always something underlying. But yeah, I, I think just like with behavior, behavior is all a symptom of an uh, underlying issue. Right, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's, that's all why like
1: functional behavior analysis exists yep. in figuring out the, the true meaning behind it.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so how about a real world problem that like you just encountered Kyle with your old car Oh, oh yes! How did you go about doing that? <laughs> like, I um, sure, as, as I'm sure you were like going from <laughs> zero to a hundred and like- Um, for, for <laughs> it, if we use it in context of where I usually am, yes, I was zero to a hundred. But uh, like, I because I, I don't I don't get real angry or upset. I <laughs> yeah. I tend to. When I get upset, I, it's like, okay, I need to think about this logically, not emotionally. But yeah, so those of you who don't know, I had a 1999 Precious Service that had like <laughs> 190,000 miles on it. Um, I've had that car for quite a while. Yeah. I hated that car. <laughs> um, and I had no AC. Yeah, had no AC. <laughs> Big surprise, the heat only worked when it was already hot out. Hey, well, you know, it drove down from Pennsylvania to North Carolina. Oh so yeah. It, all that matters. It, it, that thing had <laughs> got me through years of work and hard driving. So, you know, R.I.P. Um, so, it, it broke down, uh, I guess it was two weeks now, two weeks ago, yep. and just randomly my chunk engine light flashed one time and then just my car stopped accelerating. Uh-huh. Ended up on the side of the road and it sat there for about a week. So, uh, I have a pretty good idea that it was just the O2 sensor that went out, So but the problem something that I had to do is think, okay, is this car worth um, paying for a tow truck to take tow to a garage? huh. Paying to get the the car fixed, Uh then paying to have the taxes, title, and tags all transferred to the state of North Carolina instead of Pennsylvania, and for those of you who don't know, that's a couple hundred dollar uh, expense in Mm -hmm. itself, plus pay for the inspection. I'm looking, you know, damn near a grand Mm -hmm. just to get my old-ass car uh, back on the road, and then I've been looking at getting a new vehicle anyways, so I was like, okay, I'm going to fix up this car to try and sell it for, what, maybe $500? Yeah. Like, I'm going to lose out on a couple hundred dollars. So I had to really kind of process some problems off on do I invest more in this car to either A, keep it, or B, try and get more out of it, yeah. or do I just go buy a brand new freaking vehicle? Yeah. So I ended up with a, with a new truck. Yeah, you know, I'm very, very happy with my decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still not the problem. What the heck do I do with my car sitting on the side of the road? So I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, I it, calculated some of it out. And um, what I ended up doing is just having it towed straight to a scrapyard. The scrap yard ended up paying the tow truck people and I got $200 profit out of my broken down car. Oh, geez. So there are a ton of options I could have went with. That's just kind of the one that one Cost me the least amount of money, mm. too. Cost me the least amount of grief, and that's what I was able to just run with from there. Nice. So, what about you, Courtney? What have you encountered here recently? Very real world problem.
1: Um, deciding um to continue to work full time and be in school full time. Um, that's a real problem that I'm going through currently. Very real world. And um, I still haven't gotten to solving that problem. <laughs> um, that's still a debate back and forth. But I think like to. To reinforce like what I'm doing to support it, like I really am talking to a lot of people that have the real world experience of working full time and being your master's, um, full time as well, and trying to understand um, the struggles that they went through, and if that's something that I'm willing and able um to do as well, but as also really going and sitting down the pros and cons, like am I going to get full education among experiences out of this, or am I just going to continue to work and just bypassing with both? Um, Mm -hmm. so really sitting down and figuring out, is it something that I can financially do? Um, is it something that's good for my future? Mm -hmm. Um, and is it something that, um, I'm not going to ride myself ragged at 85 hours a week, Mm -hmm. um, in trying to figure out what's best for for me.
0: So like, is there, like, like how do we feel when we think a problem is fully solved? There's like a feeling of satisfaction, or like do we just feel like it's it's it is there a feeling when like we we know something has been resolved um so I think that also depends on your profession I used to always feel just so great like yes I figured this out it's a lot of relief um but if it's something like work related I don't feel that anymore I actually feel a level of anxiety because I've had so much experience of like problem solving and then that falling through because mm-hmm. um we do not have control over how well any plan that was Mm -hmm. created is followed through. So I always feel a small amount of anxiety when um, I kind of came up with a plan because I I don't want to get my hopes up because I expect it to not go as planned. And that just kind of comes with experience. Well, and
1: I think within the field, too, like, you think you solve one problem. Like, my mentality is I was like, okay, well, what's next now? Yeah. Because um, working with other individuals and human beings in general, like you don't know. Like, that's not something you can predict and understand. No. And as much as you maybe plan with them, like, there's always something that's going to arise. Um, mm. And I think that's what causes some of that anxiety, yes. too. Like, okay, this is good. Like, is this going to be even a bigger problem the next time mm. I'm going to help problem solve? Right.
0: Awesome. But I think in like in, in a personal life sense, you know, I like when I had my car towed and I got handed that $200 check, um I wouldn't say I was like woohoo, yay. Um <laughs> but I was definitely like like okay, this is off my plate now. This is yes, one right. less thing to worry about. So there is a sense of relief there when you kind of Yeah. Just committing to a decision, I think, yeah. has a sense of release. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I think in my personal life, like when I'm able to, like for me, I'm very much a list person. Mm-hmm. So when I'm able to check something off, I'm like, okay, how do I, again, like, so how do I fit in? I had a long day yesterday. I, I needed to register for classes yesterday. I was no. able to open up. Um, I had um, FaceTime with friends at home planning for a wedding for one of my friends. Like, yeah, I had so much in the day. I'm like, how am I going to fit this in, in one day? Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to complete this? And so like, by the end of the night you're like, Oh wow, like I did fit that all in, I somehow figured it out. Mm-hmm. Like I may have fly by the seat of my pants and didn't really solve uh, it in the beginning, but like you feel accomplished in Yeah.
0: It. But that's one of those like end of the night I'm like, I'm pouring me a big ass glass of wine because I feel okay about it. I don't about wine, but sure. Oh, yeah, exactly I mean didn't <laughs> think you would drink
1: wine, Cal. Oh, well,
0: I love wine. Okay. Um, yeah, I I know. It's I'm all about really... the beer. Oh, I like beer. I like wine and beer. But. I typically prefer beer, um, but the beers are not going to the belly. So I yeah. want to fit in my wedding suit, so I'm trying to cut back on the beer. Yes. So I've moved more to bourbon, sometimes wine, but more and, so... And you do know food. that those... Those tux fittings are coming up soon. Oh, uh, I know. I, well, and I need to get mine sooner rather than later because I, I'm buying my custom tucks because I'm extra. Yeah. So. Well,
1: like how do you get you to drink it? Like vodka waters. Uh, I, I can't do vodka. You can vodka water, lemon, uh, lemon, squeeze a little meal uh-huh. in
0: it. I listen. I, I get a little bourbon glass with an ice ball and just some okay. straight bourbon, and then that's yeah. that's there it. You go. That's all yeah. I have. <laughs> it's just that one because I sip on it, <laughs> and that's all I need. All right to re- <laughs> move on, Reverting back <laughs> to the topic uh, uh, when going through our own personal problems, like I, you with the truck and then with, with, with classwork, um, how do we ask for help? Like, like do we, like, do we ask for help? How does it like, like, make us feel asking for help? And who do you ask for help? Man, I really feel like that varies.
1: Yeah, I think it varies, I guess specifically like for the, the classwork for me in general, using that example um for me it's asking for help and understanding so like asking my advisor like what mm-hmm. are the stipulations with classes um talking to my supervisor and like, what's the stipulations going to be with work mm-hmm. um even talking to kyle and like experience of him being in school currently too mm-hmm. um and what that's going to look like so i think asking for help in that aspect um and also i also very futuristically think um and being able to ask for help with stuff around the house right, right? like Things that maybe I was tasked before where I'm cleaning and I cook, which I do, and I love doing both things, but doing 80 hours a week, like, I'm not going to be able to do that. Like, I'm going to need to ask for help in those things. Um, I think personally, like, personal life, it's easier for me to ask for help with people that I know and trust than it is for me at work.
0: Mm-hmm. See, I think for me, it's it's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have no problem kind of asking for help at work, especially right now with the new role that I'm in. Like, yeah. I'm still, I don't know what the hell I'm doing yet. Um hopefully none of my employees are listening to this. Um <laughs> no, I have a basic idea of it'll, what's it'll be going soon. Yeah, I did, yeah, right. <laughs> I have a basic idea of what's going on, but like there's just so many intricacies. So I'm constantly like saying, Hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? Um and they're always like, Hey Kyle, is there anything you need? And I'm like, Well, if there is, I just don't know about it. <laughs> so you'll find out when it's already too late. Yes. Um but I know, like in my personal life, like I don't like to ask for help, and that like just comes from me, like growing up, like I was left to my own devices on, like, hey, you're 12 years old, you can figure this out yourself, like yeah. entertain yourself for the next 12 hours. Yeah. Um, so I think that is where that really comes from for me. Like I do not like to ask for help. Luckily, my fiance knows this about me, so she throws the help at me anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, like with um, doing school and doing work. You know, on Tuesdays you know i'll work 11 12 hours i come home i got about 10 minutes to eat before mm-hmm. i have to start class so that's enough time to say hi to my crazy dogs push them out of my way go to the bathroom and log on mm-hmm. so like my fiance just automatically um is like okay food is ready here it is there you go here's yeah. a, a glass of bourbon to get you through class mm-hmm. um so like that stuff's all already there ready to go so mm-hmm. i think um she spoiled me a little bit because otherwise I would like dwell in a problem until it just starts to become overwhelming and I I'm like forced to make take action on something yeah um so yeah I I don't like to ask for help like um so a couple years ago I was having like some financial difficulties and like I struggled you know just uh trying to survive in that in the house I was living in on single income, working in the social work field. You don't make nearly enough as we should. Right. <laughs> but like, I, I eventually had to ask for help, mm-hmm. um, like from my dad and I hated that feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I felt sick that leading up to asking. And then like after asking, I felt sick for like a week, week and a half. Cause I just felt disappointed. Yeah. Um, because I had this like crazy yeah. mindset yeah. that like, to be successful, you need to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I really think for a personal life, that's really what the problem is, or what you're yeah. asking for help with Yeah. Because I can see how that becomes like a pride thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Over just like, hey, can you do the dishes? Or right. something like, it? Just it's really different how you yeah. ask for help.
0: Yeah, the, I think the deeper the problem, um, the deeper the struggle asking for at least for me and
1: the personal the problem i feel like yeah the more personal it is to you like mm-hmm. you yeah. feel like you have to figure out your task with that because it's your own problem not just a household problem right. or a friendship problem
0: mm-hmm. so like talking about this and thinking about this for those that, that are in the field um so courtney i'll, I'll turn this to you mm-hmm. um what do you think the parallel process is between kind of what i just talked about with my struggles and then maybe some of the families and individuals we work with
1: Um, I think that's often why sometimes therapy isn't effective for certain individuals only because, um, they struggle with the same thing. They struggle Mm -hmm. with asking for help from someone. So I'm going to keep all this in Mm -hmm. instead of, um, unloading. They feel like unloading it on you Mm -hmm. and helping you help, having us help them through that process. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's an internal struggle of a, can I trust you? B, um, are you going to actually help solve my problems? Um, I told this to my last xyz therapists or social workers mm-hmm. and nothing became of it or the problem wasn't solved and it's hard for them to relay that to another person mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. um, because just like you said like you, it's hard for you to ask for help um, quite often a lot of the youth we work with are forced on that mm-hmm. help um, so they're not even asking it and they're being forced which I think is almost it's almost even worse because yeah. it's not even like you have the opportunity to ask like mm-hmm. it's kind of here. here we are Um, and here's the help that people think you need.
0: So hearing that, then how do you think that differs from, um, maybe one of your friends asking for your help or you asking for a friend's help on something more personal than doing the dishes, cooking dinner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts there?
1: I, I personally, I, it's something I'm even working (laughs) on is I run myself ragged. I mean, someone asks me for help. I do it. Um, (laughs) I have a hard time saying no. Um, again, like I'm planning my best friends. Um, Bridal
0: shower. Great. I'm enjoying so, it. So, like, I'm sorry. Like, whoops. Like, uh, would you say, like, you're like a yes man? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's helpful. So am I. I'm very much so a yes man. Yeah. I, I am. Yes sir. yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. I <laughs>
1: For certain extent. I guess there's, I have, I have hard boundaries. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. I guess, but the people within my network, I don't have. I don't yep. have those boundaries for. I mean, I'll, I'll go above it and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm driving 11 hours next weekend for um, one of my friend's um, bachelor parties. So yeah. I'm, I'm literally taking one day off. And so, left her to death. So I'm going, but I'm going to yeah. sleep maybe <laughs> two <laughs> D- hours. <laughs> yep. But, uh,
0: yep.
1: but in essence, like someone that's, <laughs> someone that's <laughs> in your, your personal life, um, I feel like, I could ask them because I have, I have such um, faith in that small network of people mm-hmm. where I don't have a hard time asking them for help um, but maybe like my acquaintances I'd say besides like five people within my network mm-hmm. I truly could feel like I could call at 1am and I feel like I don't care like I don't care if you're sleeping because I trust you enough that yeah. we would have that relationship together mm-hmm. but like maybe have acquaintances outside of that friend group in solving those problems I don't I don't feel like I can go to them or I would struggle to go to them to mm-hmm. ask for help mm-hmm
0: okay yeah it makes sense to me so kyle uh you mentioned the whole thing about asking your dad for help yes And like, th- the, like does that set like a uh a feeling of vulnerability oh absolutely you know you know so that was so um i'm gonna keep backstory as short as possible because <laughs> we could we could talk you know yeah. for episodes upon episodes about my uh family history yeah um but So one of the things my, my dad was very big and very um, much instilled in me from a very young age is you work your 40 hours, and that should pay all your bills. There's no excuses. Um, <laughs> if you want to do anything beyond paying your bills, you need to work overtime, yes. and you need to get paid that overtime, and that's how you go and do fun things. So um, he, was, he was always a very, very hard worker, um, six days a week at 12-hour days. like yeah. he, he still does it. Um, mm-hmm. but he's going camping in his beautiful, large camper every other weekend through <laughs> like for four months straight, mm-hmm. you know, and he has three Harleys and, and all this stuff that he's able to do. Um, so I, I directly see the results of everything he's instilled in me. So for me, that like was super vulnerable to be like, dad, I'm not okay. I'm not making it because that directly went against the like number one right. thing he's ever taught me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was super vulnerable for me and was right. not a happy feeling. Yeah. So I get that.
1: I think going back to that parallel process, that's really what mm-hmm. in our fields, young adults, kids, adults, yeah. they, they feel very vulnerable. Um mm-hmm. it's stuff and a lot of times that's a culture of where we're working too. Mm-hmm. Um of if they feel comfortable enough and, and going to another job and asking for help.
0: Right, like, so if I felt that way about my father, right. who who I don't really have any bad experiences with, like, he's, right. he's never, he's slipped out maybe once or twice on me, and I, I'm not going to lie, looking back, i deserved all of those times, <laughs> right. but, like, I was terrified of what his reaction was going to be, and he's my freaking father, I can only right. imagine how some of our families, when they're being vulnerable with us, right. what's going through their minds of how we're going to react, and whether we're going to accept or deny them, Right. Mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, if, I don't know, maybe that's easier to be vulnerable with a stranger, because you don't have all that history with them yeah. What, versus being vulnerable with um, someone like a parent that you have all this history with. You're like, yeah. am I actually letting you down?
1: Yeah. What
0: are your thoughts on that? Like being vulnerable with a stranger versus.
1: So I, feel, I can speak on that personally. I went, I did go to therapy for a year um, yeah. due to just personal circumstances mm-hmm. That was going on in my life. And a therapist going to see another therapist was a really interesting.
0: I, I've been there. Done. Yeah. It was a really
1: it's... interesting like dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, um, this therapist, like that's what she was known. She was taking professionals within the field, mm-hmm. um, and that's all she worked with. Mm-hmm. And so she knew coming into it, like I was within the field. And oddly enough, like I felt myself sitting on her couch that day, the first time I met this woman, never, never met her before, and I spilled everything out to her, mm-hmm. and like it felt great. Mm-hmm. And I think going back to kind of like mm-hmm. what you said, even though like people within my network, when it's really a personal item that I'm really, really struggling with, that I feel like I can't even get a pros and cons list or anything, even the, the very mm-hmm. basic started mm-hmm. I think that personal stranger who has an outside opinion that A, judges me or doesn't judge me, I'm still getting somewhere else and I'm still getting something out where mm-hmm. I know I can stop seeing that therapist <laughs> if I wanted to. I can walk away from this yes, relationship. Yes. Yeah. Or as in the, those close network friendships where they may continue to check back in on me on those things that I'm divulging. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a therapist, they're going to check in with you when they're supposed to check in with you. Right. Fit. Yeah. Uh, so when you're I'm
0: emotionally ready for it. Yes. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Or the, the friends aren't always, I mean, especially if you're not in the field, they don't really know when yeah. you're emotionally
0: ready <laughs> I mean, to have that conversation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. So, Kyle, uh, reverting back to what you said about like mm-hmm. um, about uh, with uh, a lot with like, clients and how you uh, go through. Um, what was we thinking of? Just like problem solving and all that, mm-hmm. like you know, seeing, like, seeing how I see how they feel, mm-hmm. like their like their initial feedback mm-hmm. to you, like you know, saying, hey, I I'm, I'm feeling vulnerable because this A, mm-hmm. B, and C, so like. When you do that to someone else, and just say your dad, for example, or with, or with Cornel or with Bree. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you with receiving that feedback from them? Um, do you take it positively, or are you more of like a I I that that's a kind of a, a personal preference. I think for me, I I always I'm annoyingly positive and energetic. Um, <laughs> anyone that's around me knows this. So <laughs> so I know I typically th- take things like I love criticism. Um I take it very, very as a positive sense, even if you're kind of being pretty abrupt about it. Yeah. Um because I I have a, a core value within myself that I say, um if you're not challenging yourself, you're not growing. If you're not growing, then what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, because us as people, we always have learned to grow in something that is inevitable. Um, so it's always my personal belief to, to take that criticism as an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. So like, like my dad, I, I can't tell you the last time he's ever given me any kind of criticism. I don't, mm-hmm. I think it's a, a thing with him. He's like, well, you're an adult now. I can't criticize you. I have no idea. <laughs> um, Brie, she'll, she'll give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> she has no problem uh, giving me uh, her thoughts. But she, she's always super awesome about it. Yeah. Um, I think the most recent thing that she wasn't the most awesome about was about the car. She's like, Kyle, you need to do something. You can't leave it on the side of the road for another week. Um, mm-hmm. Completely fair criticism. She was right. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me wanted to just ignore it. And say okay, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, you know what? You see cars on a highway all, yeah, the, all time. the time. Yeah, all what, the time. Yeah, what's the big deal? It's all in it's plastic a plastic bag over the window. You're like, uh, you're passing by. But he's like car nearby. You're like, no, oh, okay, I see it. Yep, yep. I had a plastic <laughs> bag in the front one and a napkin in the back. So I didn't have any T-shirts or anything. It was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it looked ghetto as hell. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but yeah, so I, I take criticism with a with a real pop, positive twist. Even even that, because I'm like unfortunately, you're right. I do need to do something. Yeah. So, like, it, it was helpful, um, and sometimes what we need to hear isn't always what we want to hear. Uh-huh. So I think it's it's important on who's giving you the criticism. Yes. So, I don't know. That, that's my personal thoughts around that. Courtney, I don't know about yours.
1: I think, for me, it's how the criticism is displayed to you and how it's communicated to you. Mm-hmm. I'm really big on tone of voice and message. Um, so if I'm getting criticized for even something I'm doing at in my own personal life like it's different like hey courtney like i I noticed this and blah 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 blah. or like you did that wrong you need to go fix that no (laughs) i'm not going to respond to that well Um, and i will let you know i'm not going to respond to that well and so i think i'm very transparent kind of like how i work with my families Mm -hmm. um because i know i that's something i always struggled with i always struggle with how i accept criticism Mm -hmm. so specifically like even in the, the program i work with we call it feet forward so that we never call it like it's a criticism, like it's just speak forward so that um, you can improve for next time. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that's very processed with how our supervisor communicates with us. It's mm-hmm. never like, this is something wrong. Here's just feet forward for next time so that um, it works better towards our model. Like mm-hmm. I accept that much easier because it's in a more positive light yeah. mm-hmm. than someone saying like, this is wrong with this and like, go fix it. Yeah. I, don't, I just don't respond to that well. So I know yeah. if I don't respond to that well, and I'm very conscious that I don't respond to that well, mm-hmm. people that aren't conscious about it are definitely not going to respond oh, to yeah, that yeah. well.
0: It's like, uh, it's like we have to kind of filter our thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's like right now we're learning about uh, automatic thoughts. Yep. yep. Like what comes to our mind, just it's like a trigger. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like going through a range. And like you're about to squeeze a trigger, that's automatic. Mm-hmm. that both that gonna come out no matter what mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as yeah. long as that as long as the safe is off boom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it, it does it without like it instantly yeah you know with with a lot of complex things happening around yeah. it so yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah um from there I think we're gonna go to uh how we so we went to a, a, a problem solving on our on our own mm-hmm. like individually now I feel like we could we can head on how we problem solve in a group in a group setting yeah that's we were just talking about like complexities uh, with our individual problem solving when yeah. you try to problem solve with a group that's a whole new level of complexities yeah. and kind of discuss because everyone has a role to fill when you're in a group and um, whether you're on a personal or professional basis you're trying to be as conscious and aware of everyone else's yeah. um, interpretations and feelings around what you're talking about yeah. at all times so like I always feel like some ideas get unsaid because we're so worried about how others are going to react to them, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, that's my thought, Courtney, this is kind of a little bit further your realm than what I do. Mm -hmm. Uh So Um, talk.
1: Yeah, because I do facilitate group meetings um, with professional and families and youth um, present for each meeting. Um, So it is, it can be very tasked with, especially with different opinions. Um, and again, going back to criticism, how that criticism is being mm-hmm. shared in those meetings. So it is okay to talk about like what we can do better and what mm-hmm. needs improvement, mm-hmm. but it's like how it's shared. Yes. And I think often during my job, I, I have to reword mm-hmm. um, and rephrase mm-hmm. and try to find the strengths out of each mm-hmm. comment that's being said or criticism that's being said. And again, fra- we phrase it back into like feet forward. Like this is what we can do to improve upon this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. And so I think often I do that a lot in my personal life now because I'm just doing it all the time mm-hmm. um and just facilitating a conversation that makes it more appropriate and keeps people engaged um, mm-hmm. because if you're not engaged in a conversation regardless if you saw that problem in that meeting mm-hmm. there's going to be sometimes where it takes even in your own personal life you get solving a problem in just 20 minutes trying to figure uh-huh. it out cause it's a complex problem mm-hmm. um so again with our youth um Having a complex problem, you're not going to solve it in an hour meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so just being able to recognize that, and I think bringing people back to the table mm-hmm. when it's not an appropriate time um, to solve yeah. that problem.
0: So then, let me let me bring this up because I know it's something very real that that we experience um, in a professional setting. Um, in in those meetings, there's there's obvious power dynamics, whether yeah. we want them there or not. So you, you have a, an overarching entity that maybe has. Um, custody, yeah. therefore has power over the situation versus um, someone with a lot less power and doesn't have the, um, the final say in what happens in their own lives. Um, what happens when those two entities do not agree? How do you go about that? Mm-hmm. How do you solve that?
1: <laughs> and That happens quite often, when not. Um, honestly, for work purposes, I would say like really prepping that before that meeting and letting the family mm-hmm. know like unfortunately, like this is the the situation that we are in. Mm-hmm. So what? Where are you? Um, where are you comfortable in giving some and having the same conversation with the the power strip on the outside mm-hmm. too? Um, where are they comfortable in giving some? Besides, with policy and procedure, there are certain things that can't yeah. give. Um, but I think really having those conversations before you get into a meeting, so it's in both the back of their minds. And mm-hmm. again, like so, when there is a power struggle, knowing that okay, maybe at this point in time, this is table in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're when you, I'm not, someone I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. I know everyone else in that call is right. feeling comfortable. Yes. Um, and probably before even I started feeling uncomfortable. Um, so being able to table that conversation and have a conversation outside of those often to allow. The person that is empowered to kind of vent out where they're coming from, mm-hmm. and then me to be able to just solve okay, they're coming from this point of view. Where are they able to give? What part of this policy and they have to? Mm-hmm. How can I support them in conveying that message to our families in mm-hmm. a way that's more receptive mm-hmm. um, than saying, you got to do this because the judge said this, or yeah. this actually has to be done by next week, or you won't get your kids back. Like, yeah. Where is it? Where can they give within the power that they do have? Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing the culture of where they're coming from, I think right. is, is the biggest point of it mm-hmm. um, because some of them may be in the field for 25 years and they've seen some you know what that it's they're coming from a good place they're just forgetting how to uh, relay uh, lay that message yeah. so sometimes having that conversation with them a lot of the times they're like okay maybe I could say that in a different way and I think mm-hmm. that goes back to them being able to accept feet forward mm-hmm. um, and how mm-hmm. we can better have conversations to have a better outcome um, because if they're going in, anyone, even if our families are going in defensive in room, obviously the power struggle is going to be there from the get go no matter what it is too. Yeah.
0: So then moving into more of a, a personal realm, what happens when you have a hard stance on something um, and then someone else has the an opposing stance on it? <laughs> What's the difference between what you just described and then that problem-solving procedure, um, let's say you and your significant other, are, are on two different sides of an issue. <laughs> like, how, how do you problem-solve through something like that?
1: I struggle with this in my personal life. I probably don't do the best of job. <laughs> in it. Um, but I always, I always joke and say it's because I do it at work
0: all the time. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not working. No, I'm, I'm off for the rest of the evening. <laughs> yes. So,
1: um, yes. That can become an issue quite frequently just because I think I do give them my all in trying to figure out other people's problems throughout the day and helping them figure out their problems. Mm-hmm. Um, often, it takes me some time. So, like, if we're having a problem, I have to walk away from a situation for a little while uh-huh. to have time to process um, because I feel myself getting... Um, Angry quicker at a home setting than I do being able to control the setting at work and being mm-hmm. able to control it. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes we will take time apart. Um, I'll go work out, I'll go shopping. Um, <laughs> just something like to decompress to talk about yeah. and then we can come back later and kind of figure out. And we will. We will sit on the couch for an hour, two hours, however long it is, talk that conversation out. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it becomes a struggle because we do have two different. So it is like a power struggle within one yeah, one situation yeah. within your house. And again, you're not gonna solve anything when you're struggling back and forth. You have mm-hmm. a very strong opinion here and I have a very strong opinion here. And anyone that knows me personally knows my opinion is my opinion and very <laughs> no. often does that change. That's a flaw and a strength. Um, so I often have to step back out of it to mm-hmm. recognize like, okay, just like at work, my opinions can't be displayed upon my mm-hmm. families
0: or mm-hmm.
1: other people I work with. Same thing in my personal life. Like I have to realize too, like my skin has a lot of opinions as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So th- does your work, um, once you start to regulate and calm down, does that kind of start to invade your brain as you're thinking about some of these problem solvings when you come back? Do you think about, um, strategies that you use in a work setting and do you bring that home?
1: um I really try not to Mm. (laughs) I really really try not to because I'm human too and we should solve problems just like our families do Mm -hmm. um now in the ways that we teach them as well but am I going to have a a spreadsheet and we're gonna talk about all the possible ways that um, we could figure this out no I'm not but am I gonna have a more in-depth conversation to better understand um where that person in my personal life is coming from? Yes, am I like gonna ask questions just like I look what with my families to better
0: understand? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean that makes sense to me. I mean because we do something similar like, um, and I don't know if that to some weird degree makes us hypocrites for like teaching yeah. teaching these these procedures and and interventions. And then not using them ourselves. Yeah. I don't know if that makes us hypocrites, or it's if it's like a, a thing where oh we don't need them. Mm-hmm. That's true. Or or if it's like um a personal bias of like I do this with families, I can't do this with myself.
1: Yeah. I think that's an internal battle. I just guess right. like, too, like even though we help others, sometimes the hardest person to help is yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. so uh, we have flaws too, like. I get it where some of our families come from because I'm mm-hmm. like, in my own personal life, look, would well, I really do this? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the, the strategies that we teach aren't meant to say that strategic. I think that's part of it too, is like mm-hmm. there's a structure to help you get to a point where you're able to figure out that problem without going through the entire list of things that you need to go through. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it too, is mm-hmm. like you start getting getting that innate, it, it's built into you like, okay, I don't have to follow this like, strict guide. Mm-hmm. And just like our model, like the model that yep. I use for work, Obviously, families aren't going to have a full PowerPoint and go through an entire strength-based model mm-hmm. um, to have a conversation with uh, a mm-hmm. professional. They're not going to mm-hmm. do that. But yeah. the goal is they take the positives out of that meeting and utilize that just in that conversation. So I think the strategies we teach, we want them to take little pieces out of it and do it in their normal, everyday life. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So the way I look at it is um, what we both do in work is a lot of skill building, like teaching yeah. people how to do various things. So and I, I think... Skills. Yeah, so I think um, I, if I relate it back to driving, when we first start learning to drive, like all this stuff is going through our head and basic stuff and we're const- hyper about it yeah. when we're learning to drive. And I'm using this analogy because I got stuck behind a student driver yesterday um, and it was terrible. It took me forever to get where I needed to get to. But... Um, I had to rethink about it. I was like, all okay, right, this person's probably nervous as hell, going through every single step of everything she's ever read about driving, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm sitting here like, okay, this is a skill I already have. Yeah, I'm not so. going through um, every single little step that like she is right now. And I think that's kind of the difference of kind of where the individuals we work with and we're teaching these interventions to, we're going through every single step so it can start to become yes. innate for them. Yep. For us, it's already automatic. Right, yeah. So
1: That driving of example is really, it, that's really key because you're exactly right. Yeah. Like you're studying like exactly when can I make a right hand turn on red and right. what huh. like, don't do a rolling stop sign. But again, so like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but
1: that's exactly what you do in like problem solving within in yeah. your own personal mm-hmm. life. Like you're not, you're not going to sit down and do those concrete structures, activities that we teach families to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's something that we're subconsciously buried, doing. To you. Yes. Exactly. Hey, so
0: go back to my old episodes and self to <laughs> <laughs> But that's what we did. So uh, something that may be a complex problem once you start
1: learning those skills, maybe yes. become a more simple problem mm-hmm. um, yes. as Again, when we the families we start to work with, everything is a very complex problem because they don't have those transition skills right. built upon them yet, mm-hmm. which is fine. That's exactly what we're there for, to teach them those skills so that maybe that those 10 problems you have in a day, only one of them is complex, mm-hmm. and you can subconsciously work the group the nine.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we started discussing uh, problem setting as a group. And we oh, of, you're right. We, we kind go. of we kind of <laughs> veered into something completely different. So, regarding back to this, uh, <laughs> uh, for example, Kyle, in in our uh, internship coming up, oh. we, are, we are bound to have some sort of if it's not all virtual. Yeah, we're bound to have some sort of a uh, group group setting. Yeah, what I'm kind sorry. of like what kind of role are you thinking of playing in that first group? So. Uh, if we look at group dynamics, there's there's typically um, a leader, there's a certain number of workers, and there's almost always a scapegoat. So scapegoats are less common in a professional group setting. Um, that does not involve a client. The client, I always find, ends up being the scapegoat, the, the person to blame mm-hmm. for the issues. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately that is just kind of how the human brain is wired to view groups every we our brain wants to categorize everyone and put them in a pretty little neat box with a bow and this is their job this is Mm -hmm. their duty yep um so i think like for for us if if everyone's on equal grounds minus uh like a professor um it gets a little complex Uh, i learned that people are a lot more timid um, when they don't know their role in the group problem solving yeah. process, you know, it's the more clear you are about your role, mm-hmm. um, the easier it is to participate. And I think that, that a lot of that just comes a confidence level, you know? Yeah. So someone who has been in the field, like, so if we're talking about our, uh, our groups that we're probably going to encounter during our internship, um, class, um, I foresee that I will end up talking a lot because I am very comfortable and have a lot of experience mm-hmm. in a setting like that. I have a lot of that experience mm-hmm. where other individuals that haven't been in the field at all, um, might be a lot more timid to communicate because they don't know their role in that group yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's my thoughts on it is everyone tries to fulfill what role they think they are supposed to play. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, you tend to just observe until you figure it out. So how about when people are put into selective roles? Let's just say you're like, you're a facilitator. Mm-hmm. Are you going to base people on your roles based on their abilities or based on the workload? okay, so that's that's really interesting because that works kind of really well in my my new position of being a supervisor. Um, I have a fairly good idea over the um, strengths and weaknesses of my team mm-hmm. so we we do this thing uh, about once a month where we kind of do a mini training mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of remind us about some different factors and we just did one on um, trauma and how trauma affects the brain so when we kind of did that we divided it up into three different categories around that and decided one what are we most interested in and two what are we already skilled in mm-hmm. so um So I took the spot of kind of um, talking about uh, the brain chemistry and the biological reactions to trauma in the brain as how Mm -hmm. it uh, reacts to when it comes to dopamine and receptors and Mm -hmm. brain activity, you know, where someone else was a lot more comfortable in talking about um, a a parent's reaction to trauma Mm -hmm. and, and how they can be supportive. So kind of taking... One, what someone's comfortable with and two, what someone's already strength and knowledgeable about. You know, and I think that's the the key to finding group cohesion mm-hmm. is utilizing everyone's strengths yeah. to yeah. bolster their weaknesses. Absolutely. So
1: literally what I was gonna say, understanding but I think understanding people's background and culture too is really yeah. important. Especially like using your utilizing your group project for school i mean mm-hmm. someone may have a death in that family the week and so they only did like one fourth of what they were supposed to but and they're still responsible for it but understanding that they have something going on so like there's a need in that area mm-hmm. um for that certain week okay, okay like and again so do you facilitate like hey can i help you or do they ask how to help mm-hmm. i think group is really difficult in that because mm-hmm. there's always going to be like Curveballs mm-hmm. that need um, problem solved. but going back to, that, I really do think like the the strength based approach and understanding people's culture and strength um, can really go a long way in working with them, yeah. because everyone is different and how mm-hmm. everyone communicates is different. Um, so understanding, under getting to getting to know someone first, I think is a lot easier in, in working as a group, mm-hmm. even like on a personal level. Sometimes when you don't really people are like, okay, this is this is a professional and this is. Um, a group project for school, but understanding the person in in general just helps you generally understand knowledge, like how to work together better. Mm -hmm.
0: So when we, when we think about groups then do what is easier to work with and what is most effective, um, a super diverse group or a less diverse group?
1: I think it depends on what you're working on because for me, a super diverse group, if you're really trying to think outside the box and get, um. Good, what we would call work brainstorming ideas mm-hmm. to figure out, like for problem solving, a diverse group also can give many different dynamics that that um, people that are unison don't think of. They don't think of those ideas.
0: So, so let's narrow this down. Let's say you are in a think tank in order to develop a mentoring program here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I would say a diverse group. I would say the thing with that is that you're gonna have a lot of a lot of. Uh... Strong personalities. Most and likely. People who want to hear your voice heard. Especially in a think tank. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So with Tom Solomon like that, it's like you're going to have all these ideas going into one tank. Mm-hmm. How do you select out... And so positive ideas. And that's where I was just kind of getting at it on a a diverse group versus a less diverse group. And Courtney, you kind of just said you think a diverse group is most beneficial. So is it that it's easiest to work with a more diverse group or, or is it also more effective?
1: I don't think it would be either. I think it's the harder route, but I think it's the most effective for an end result to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. The people that are like, sometimes think alike mm-hmm. um, and you're getting narrowed answers may be the best for you because you're like, I'm thinking this too, but obviously all the times when we're solving our own problems, it doesn't always work. So mm-hmm. I think having um, ideas outside the box can obviously help. Um, it's just getting that person to agree to those two. I think when you have a diverse group of people, if I'm thinking here in left field and someone else is thinking right field, how do we get those people to work together to accept all the ideas?
0: So do you think, which, which of the two do you think is more um, common that happens? The, the super diverse think tank or the more unilateral think tank?
1: It, in what I do, diverse, um, because you're having professionals and families and oftentimes they're on opposite sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so often often you're getting them to try to work together in a cohesive group.
0: So, But that's our, our, our little field of social work, and that's kind of what we're known for. Yeah. What In the wider world of things, whoa, what do you think happens more? Mm-hmm.
1: Common, like the people that are common, um, so the non-diverse.
0: So then what do we think the implications of that are on us as a population and as a community?
1: Uh, more strict thinking, more rigid thinking, um, more rigid problem solving. I'm not willing to um, compromise and think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, not willing to see other people's views, opinions, and culture because you have a set structured view that um, has been created in dynamics because the people that you work with very much think alike as well.
0: So I, and, and I asked all those questions because I kind of assumed I knew what you were gonna yeah. say. Um, that to me kind of really, looks at kind of where we are as a, a culture in the united states yeah um i think people definitely seek out information that reinforces what they already believe yeah mm-hmm. um and we look at our political landscape and we look at um our political parties it's super mm-hmm. one-way thinking unwilling mm-hmm. to move yes. like at least 80 percent of the time mm-hmm. so um i i 100 agree i think a more diverse group it's going to come up with more diverse answers, yeah. which leads us to more options to to grow and progress as a as communities. Um, and I agree with you. Unfortunately, I don't think there is enough of that.
1: Yeah, agree. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm going to take this to left field for a second. Bring it. So Kyle, you're a sports fan, right? Yeah. All right. So football. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh
1: All right. So uh,
0: if, if we take a football team, right? Yep. And they're and they're on the they're on the field. Mm-hmm. The quarterback. That's their. That's your facilitator. Yep. That's the person who's gonna tell you, okay, you go here, you go yep. there. The ball is going here. Yep. Right. So your O line, that's your foundation. That's mm-hmm. your think tank. Okay. That's yeah. Where, that's where all the ideas are going. Right? Okay. And then your receivers, or the ball, the person getting the ball, that is your, that's your idea being played. Okay. And whether or not that idea is successful or it's not. That's how generally Uh, it would would go. Okay, I see where this analogy can go. I like this, I see where this can go, so because so you're, what you're saying is the, the O-line in this scenario of an offense yes. is the think-take with the quarterback being the one that's part of the think-tank. Yes. So very rarely does the think-tank, if we're talking in large-scale like uh, community organization and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they're not the ones that are going out and implementing these ideas. No. So in this analogy, it's the receivers and running back and all yes. the other. Okay, I like this. So the quarterback is taking the idea from the think-tank, the O-line, Generally, the center. He's like, you know, center's like, okay, here yeah, we go. okay, yeah. And the quarterback's like, okay, I have, I have an idea. Okay. Let's, see if, let's see if it works. Okay, and boom. So if so, Courtney, I'm going to pull you in here. If it, I don't know. I was about to hold <laughs> on I know you're not football. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to put this out <laughs> okay. of the analogy. Okay. So when a plan is made and fails, who's to blame? The think tank or the implementation?
1: It's typically the implementation. I feel like. Um, and in a personal experience, is because um, you're the person that is reinforcing that and facilitating and supporting that decision that came out of that think tank. So, for us, like coming out of that brainstorming idea, like, great, this is wonderful. Whether I agree or disagree, I'm supporting and advocating for it um, mm-hmm. to build those skills so they can be confident in themselves. So I feel like if it fails, often not like is it looked upon the person that that supported that decision, maybe not even made that decision but supported that decision. But I also for me, I think it depends on who the person is because a lot of times, sometimes I'll take it personal. Well, I let them, I let this make this decision. Mm -hmm. Um, So like one of our youth, like if we threw out an idea and they accepted it, well, I I, I decided to go along with this. This is my Mm -hmm. fault. I allowed this to Mm -hmm. happen. So I think it can be either or my own personal opinion.
0: Yeah, because that's kind of where I am because sometimes you can have um great ideas that just aren't feasible they're just yeah. not possible in the realm of the the of what's currently going on in the climate yeah. and so yeah i, I think either one can, can be blamed but kind of thinking about this analogy i really feel like the ones that always get blamed are the ones that are implementing mm-hmm. whether it's their yeah. fault they could do the best possible job and the plan could just suck mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah so, or something if like a wrench could be thrown in and, and yeah. it, it, honestly
0: you just don't know yeah okay I like where you're going on that yeah. idea. you know what because like like we said like a wrench yeah like in this in this in this, uh, in this analogy that would be like interception or yeah. fumble. yeah the, the opposition, opposition doing something yeah yes.
1: Yeah. there could be rain that day and the ball is even ten times more slippy mm-hmm.
0: G- good job Courtney <laughs> great great <laughs> job yes. getting in the analogy <laughs> see <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now we're in like that, like that sports mode, sports, sports thing, um, sports, sports talk. Okay. So going back into, um, so we all know, actually no, we don't know. Kyle is a former wrestler. Yeah. yeah. I did
1: not know. How'd you not know this? I didn't know this guy. That so was such
0: a big part of my life. Kyle wrestled for years. She so did the whole trash bag thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> to maintain weight. Four a.m. running with a trash bag. Getting oh, I did this too for pageants. Yep, making a home sauna and yep. then uh, putting a new trash bag on to go to school for the day. Okay. Yep. awesome. <laughs> so uh, when when you're about to go up to a up up, up, up to a opponent and like you know wrestle. Uh huh. Let's just say you know that opponent. Okay. It's a buddy of yours. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to be as aggressive as you usually are, or oh, are you hell gonna I be like, um, oh, he's a buddy of mine. I'm gonna take it easy. Oh hell. Well, okay. So that the de- that depends. If it's like, if it's a buddy of mine, chances are we've wrestled before. Yeah. Um, that's that's almost always. Yeah, like, I've been friends with plenty of opponents. That that happens all the time. Um, if I. And this is this is like high school cocky Kyle coming in, yeah. but uh, if I know I'm better than that person because the history has shown that I beat them every single time, I will be um, less aggressive, or I, I will try not to make it like an embarrassing situation for them because they're a friend of mine. And if we both already know the outcome of this match, be, just because of I've been doing it for uh, ten years and they were doing it for two, yeah. Um, you know yeah i i do look at it that way but if it's usually that's not the case mm-hmm. or, or and i try not to think that way um no i i always kind of hit everything head on okay. i'm way too competitive and aggressive for that. <laughs> <laughs> so when taking that same outlook with wrestling mm-hmm. into the workplace mm-hmm. and let's just say you work with somebody you know well i mean how, naturally how do you like well like a, 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 a previous friendship? How do you, like, okay. uh, separate those roles and boundaries? Ah, uh, okay. Be- so, because, like, before you're wrestling and you knew the person, but then you were still, like, gun-ho Kyle. Okay. Are you going to be gun-ho Kyle still? <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the way I look at this is when I worked in Pennsylvania, I did a ecosystemic family-based therapy. I had friends that worked either in case management department from the same company I worked for or a different company, or they may have worked for children and youth. Um, and, if, and if we had conflicting uh, values, I am even more um, willing to to be aggressive. And I shouldn't say aggressive. I'm, I'm willing to be way more assertive. <laughs> yes. It is more so the terms. I'm not screaming at the people to do what I want them to do. But uh, I tend to be way more assertive because I'm like, I know I have this friendship, like bank of points. Mm-hmm. And you already know that I like this. So I'm fully comfortable throwing myself at you um, because i you understand how I am as a person, and I know you won't take this personal, yeah, yeah. you know, so I mean that's that's how I kind of look at things okay. is the more comfortable I am with you, the more assertive I'm willing to be to throw my ideas out there in a more frank manner, yeah. um, rather than beat around the bush, mm-hmm. you know but where if it's just like an acquaintance, I'm going to be a lot more um tactical <laughs> with my implementation okay. Courtney, I don't know if yeah. you've kind of experienced yeah. anything like that.
1: I mean, I I'm really strong willed in any situation that's put in. And that just my, that's my personality. Like I'm never afraid to speak up, I'm never afraid to say something, work or non-work. Um, but I do think like for me what happens at work stays at work. So yeah. obviously I could have a situation where I'm not seeing eye to eye with a coworker, mm-hmm. but like that's at work. Like mm-hmm. I'm talking to you outside of work, okay, it's it's not about that. Like mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm passionate about something, sometimes it does come off. Um more abrupt and more yeah, right. more adamant, um, but it's in a work setting, and so again, I'm that way in my own personal life. But mm-hmm. again, for what happens at work to me, that stays at work for me.
0: Yeah, and like Courtney, we we work for the same company, but mm-hmm. we we work on two different um, programs at the mm-hmm. same company. We share clients sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we have experienced this mm-hmm. between me and you. Mm-hmm. We're typically um, pretty aligned. But it's super possible for, for you in your role mm-hmm. and uh, a staff that's in my role to have conflicting views on the, what to do about a case.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because I think for you guys, you're very primarily working with the family and I'm working with the entire dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, so often that I'm understanding the culture and the needs that are coming from other paid professionals um, in the workforce as well. So I can be kind of more compassionate, understanding to them, um, as well as your staff's primary job is to support that family and something mm-hmm. where they're
0: at. So they're getting the family side of it and I'm getting everyone's side right. of it. Right, yeah. So Courtney, uh, so me and Kyle mentioned uh, football, we got an example for, about football. Is there anything in your personal life that you, that, that you can relate to uh, group dynamics or like how you are in person for life? like, you mentioned pageants before, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How did you go about in like meeting these meeting uh, these other girls and like pretty much like measuring up yourself to them
1: <laughs> that's like that's a weird one I think it has to think about I haven't competed in a long time, but um I mean often not like you are you are with a group of women for extended period of time yeah. um with many different cultural backgrounds and ways of communicating um uh, I think. I think for me, again, it goes back to I've always been the person I am no matter where I'm in the situation I'm in, and that, that gets me in trouble sometimes. <laughs> um, but that, that's one thing that my mom is very, very big on, um, is being who you are no matter what situation that yes. you're in. So I think in those situations, at least for pageants, there wasn't a lot of times where I had that conflict resolution because mm-hmm. you are a single person competing against different single yeah. people. So I didn't I had to understand my competition, I had to understand how they walked, I, understand how, I had to understand their interview skills, mm-hmm. um, how they displayed themselves so that you could match. But I guess mm-hmm. in the realm, I did have to have a, a lot of communication problem solving with them.
0: Yeah. It's that very like, it's a it's the very like independent like sports role, but not really. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like college it's wrestling. It's like wrestling. Yeah, it's, it's independent it's with like one. Yeah, one, it's like you yeah. you go in there and try to do your best, and then that's it. It yeah. goes from there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So before I was I was saying something about about like independence with with the sports setting and a group setting with mm-hmm. sports, uh, whether it be wrestling or football or hockey or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at your team, like you're only a strong. Or as fast or slow as your weakest, weakest or slowest player. Right. So like, how do you, how do you like look at like look, like like look at your team and think, okay, how do I, how do I like uh, collaborate this team to work effectively together, even though we have one person who is, you know. So if we're thinking of it in that aspect, especially when it comes to like work, the in this analogy what a lot of outside people would view as the the weakest link is typically the individual or the client or the family Mm -hmm. that we're working with and i think that's part of the problem is that's that's the stigma and the view that people are are looking at they're looking at it as we are all here to help this person Mm -hmm. um and i think that view can be kind of toxic Mm -hmm. so i think we need to take more of a viewpoint of we are all here to collaborate and figure out a problem Mm-hmm. Uh, based on the resources we have so because the the family and the individual are just they're probably more important than anyone else in the room on solving this problem because they're the ones that have the most information about the problem mm-hmm. and we all know that information is power therefore in my viewpoint they hold the most power in this conversation mm-hmm. and unfortunately they don't get treated that way yeah so i i think it's um it's a perception issue uh, In a sports analogy, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the team's only as good as the um, least talented player on the roster. But I think in this case, um, that's toxic to think about when problem-solving with a family. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you think? I, I
1: agree. I was going to say that. The individual or the family that we're working with, it truly is their problem. So we could give them a bunch of ideas and support them in trying it, but truthfully, they know themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I all the time say that even to other professionals in the room like this is the family's life. And we're really big on family voice and choice. Mm -hmm. Um, The families get to ultimate say... Um, just because if with any structured model, like you say you're going to do this and it doesn't work, they're going to lose that trust in you. Mm-hmm. Um, so having them part of that process and allowing them to make those decisions mm-hmm. to, to solve the problem.
0: So, but then if we're looking at something, let's say, um, I'm in charge of a restaurant and I'm looking at my staff and my team there, I think that analogy fits really well. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I have this new person that just can only handle like three tables. How do I how do I survive this crazy dinner rush yes. you know when I have uh someone that's just not doesn't have the skills and isn't competent th- enough yet um to help keep you afloat and I think you it's a fine line because at that point you need to bring in people that are overqualified people that have a lot of competent mm-hmm. um so if if I'm on the floor and I got an employee that can only handle three uh tables mm-hmm. then I need to make sure I staff someone that can handle um 8 to 10 tables instead of a, the normal 6 yeah. to to try and overcompensate. And I think what the trap that a lot of people fall into is then that becomes the norm and and instead of that being a short-term solution until the person is competent, um, sometimes that person just doesn't reach competency and they just keep doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then your really uh, qualified staff become burnt out and sick of it and mm-hmm. they, it's treated they feel treated unfairly. Yeah. So I think it's just something you have to be very aware of your team and kind of what you're working with. And you do, you have to pull people's strengths and you have to overcompensate where you can, mm-hmm. but that can't be the long-term solution. Yes. Right.
1: It's temporary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in my last job, um, the part where I worked with had a lot of um, stuff that she was working through in her personal life, which required me to carry a lot of the weight, mm-hmm. which is all fine and dandy, but when you're... Carrying all the most of the weight for two years, it becomes extremely stressful, yes. and it puts strain on the relationships with the, with those individuals. So, I mean, it's just something you have to be aware of, and I think you have to communicate, and a lot of people mm-hmm. don't when they're getting frustrated. Yes,
1: agree, okay.
0: agree. So, as you can see, we can go on and on and on and on about talking about problem solving in our as as, as an individual in a group setting in the workplace andre we can go on and on about anything anything (laughs) but you know as a quote-unquote facilitator i am going to bring this to us to a halt and thank (laughs) i I, I want i want to thank kyle for being here as always and thank courtney for being my guest today
1: thanks for having me
0: and yeah i'm just gonna say so long fayetteville i will see you next time and we will We'll be discussing uh, boundaries in the work setting, and then boundaries in your in your personal life. I hope to see you there. Adios.